1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
0: Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Step Over Podcast. I'm Andrew Adair. With me as always is Mac Report. Max, how you doing? Doing great, Jim. Max, we're in a very different situation than we were last time we spoke. I'm already I'm, I'm slow myself down. I just had a coffee. I'm talking very fast. Um, last time we spoke, the Sixers were 4-0, and feeling on top of the world. Since then, they have been 1-2. and They're still a 5-2 and team. But uh last two games have been uh, less than enthralling. Um Before we get to the positive, because I want to get this quick negative out of the way first, then we'll get to the positive and some more negative. So before we get to your first-hand experience of watching the Maz game winner, um, I just want to ask a very simple question. And it's early in the season, so this could change later on in the season, depending on the context of games. At this point in the year, those two games that you lost, would you rather lose them by like 15 than come come down to it and lose them by 5 and 2, respectively?
1: Is this like, by the way, is this like the the negging equivalent of a compliment sandwich? It's like starting with a negative, then hitting them with a little bit of positive, and then like shattering their hopes with the negative again? Sure. All right. Well, I, yeah, I kind of feel like, yeah, I feel like it's been, it's, looking at the way this season's played out, um, I still feel really good about where things are at. Um, it's a little concerning that in so many of their games to this point, it's come down to the final few minutes. Um, yes. And it's just, it's hey, not.
0: That, that is Sixers basketball.
1: It is Sixers basketball, and it, it used to be Sixers basketball for it to come down to the final few minutes and lose. So this is a, an improvement over that. Um, True. You know, it, it's really, it was only the, what was it, the Minnesota game. Was the only one that they they really just like kind of controlled throughout that it feels uh-huh. like, um, yeah, pretty much in their last four and the rest have all been like games they probably sh- could have easily lost or have lost. Um, the Portland game they should have lost. Uh, the Blazers just outplayed them. Um, yes, and that what happened at the you end should say, not have happened. But and you could say I, I would argue
0: even though the score differential was wider that. Um, they probably had more right to win that Phoenix game than they did the uh the Utah game.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um Yeah, I agree there. They lost them both. They lost them but both. They had more rights to win them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I it's a little concerning because it's it's hard to really know where the team's at uh just because they could either be 3 and 4 or they could be 7 and 0. Um yes. just based on the bou- a few bounces of the ball and I I guess it feels good that they're finishing games, but you'd like to see a team that's this talented just blowing a team like Phoenix out even without Embiid.
0: True. Uh, Phoenix, I will say no slouches anymore somehow for now. Um, But before we get to, again, the positive of your in-person quirk thing, I just want to say I'm not really that concerned for a couple of reasons. One, well, let's, let's say three reasons. One, early in the year. Two, uh... Sixers over the last couple of seasons have been a notoriously great home team. They've only played two home games so far. There's also that. Uh, and three, as again, typical Sixers basketball, uh, in the seven games so far this year, we've seen about five different versions of the Sixers. We've seen um, a team with Embiid and without Embiid. Now seen a team, or we'll see even more, but for the, after 10 minutes of last game, with Simmons and without Simmons. Uh, we've seen a team where... Uh, the only Becca point guard minutes are going to Josh Richardson. Now we see Neto on the floor. Uh, we see a lot of Corkmas. We see a little bit of Corkmas. It's five different teams. It'll all even out. I'm not super concerned about it. They're still five and two. Go ahead with your cork moss uh, story, please.
1: Yeah. And just to add to that, before we move on to Corkmas, um, you're right. They've played two games at home, and that was the opener against Boston that they won by 14. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty handed pretty handily. And then Minnesota, who they beat by 22 and really wasn't, wasn't close. Um, so you're right. Uh, I think also, also you're right that it's, it's been a lot of flux. And I think my hope is that you get through this, like Simmons injury. He's going to be out the next three games, possibly more. We don't really know. He's going to be reevaluated after three, which who knows what that even means anymore, uh, with the Sixers. But My hope is that, like, they come out of this with, like, whether it's Howell whether it's um, James Ennis or whoever. Like, just, like, getting a better sense of what the rotation looks like and what the roles are and, like, having it not be... I mean, obviously, with injuries, you can't... You don't know what's going to happen, but, like, right now, it feels like they're still trying to figure out who that ninth guy is um, Mm -hmm. and... It's been Quark Maz recently, and we'll talk about that. But um, I'd like I'd like that to get figured out in the next like couple weeks, and feel like you're kind of set moving forward because it doesn't feel like uh, for a team that's as good as they are that they have their guys and they know who they are and they have their rotation set at all. Yeah, I mean, at one
0: year there'll be one year I think maybe actually never where we'll get to say this, but. This is the now 7th, feels like the 482nd season where Brett Brown has started with a brand new team. Um, that takes time to figure out. And not only that, like, things just take time to figure out in general. Uh, things looked pretty lo- locked in with Matisse Thibault in the first two games and then since, and not so much. Uh, first three even, maybe. So, things change. Things go up and down. People's abilities go up and down. People get fred. You know, it happens. Um this is also more of a way to say that I'm not super worried about it, and I think most people are too worried. Um, but anyway, Max, you took the drive down from Seattle to Portland, Oregon. Oregon?
1: Oregon. I, I usually say Oregon, just not Oregon. Yeah.
0: I've been there, and you'd be surprised, actually not at all, that I didn't hear anybody say the name of their own state out loud when I was there. <laughs> Weird, right? Now you walk around Philadelphia all the like time just saying Pennsylvania out loud. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, you took a drive down with uh, some friends of the pod, just friends in general, real real life friends.
1: Real real life friends. Well, friends I met through Twitter, but now yeah. are real life friends. So, yes, true, true friends and also friends of the pod. Uh, yeah, so I went down with my friends Shane and Joe, who live here in Seattle, um, both Sixers fans. And stayed the night Saturday uh, into Sunday, but we got down like maybe three hours before the game hung out downtown and kind of walked over from there. Uh, it was awesome. There were a ton of Sixers fans uh, just like kind of hanging around town. Um, a bunch of people came up. We were all wearing jerseys and hats and shit. So people came up to us and um, it was like a really cool atmosphere. Uh, we spent the entire day, the entire drive down and most of the game uh, lamenting the fact that Furkan Korkmaz was playing such a big role Uh it's this, to this point in the season and, and was on the floor as much as he was against Portland. Uh, you could
0: even say it was a situation like imagine taking a bus ride to New York and having to watch Jaloka for start.
1: Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. Um, so it was amazing. It was like the only thing that would have been more, that would have brought us more joy in that moment that he hit the game winner would have been if like Ben Simmons had just jacked a 30 footer and hit it. Like Furcon Korkmaz hitting that corner three, them drawing up a play for him and him banging it for the win was like mm-hmm. the the perfect thing that could have happened. Um all the Sixers fans that were around us were going absolutely nuts. Uh we were freaking out. We the game ended. We went out into the concourse. Uh there were some Sixers a Sixers fan came up to us, like a group of them, and someone was playing uh the Here Come the Sixers song on their phone and we all started nice. singing. We were really annoying. Like <laughs> like if this if this were uh, if we were in Boston or if this were like Blazers fans doing the equivalent thing in Philadelphia, like definitely got would have gotten our asses kicked. Uh well, what's but the Blazers-, Blazers theme song is it just like an early Modest Mouse B-side. Yeah. Um, no, so they they were like happy for it. It was very bizarre. Like the ushers and like people who were around were like good game. Uh so that that was uh that was nice that they they treated us kindly because we definitely were obnoxious at that point. I feel like I'm not normally obnoxious uh as an opposing no. fan or, or just like I'd like to think as a person generally, but what we were doing is very obnoxious. We were all just like euphoric after the <laughs> the Korkmaz shot.
0: So just as a as a background for my story on it. I uh, as you know, Max, since you were on the West Coast, and it was West Coast game. It was late here. I was actually also not feeling super well. Um, so I had I was having like a terrible allergic day, and I couldn't barely breathe. I couldn't see out of like one eye, basically. So I left where I was, and I went and got some allergy stuff from the Rite Aid, and I just came home, and I'm like, all right, I'll just lay on the couch and watch the Sixers until I pass out. Uh, didn't fall asleep, but around the third, mid-third quarter, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go lay in bed and watch the rest of the game. Um, I'm watching on streaming, I don't have cable, so I, I, streams, you know, it's something like 30 seconds behind or something like that, so, throughout most of the game, I like to have my phone face down. Um, I don't, I no longer have score alerts come in, uh, for the end of the game, because I've had games spoiled for me that way in years past, uh, when, like, you know, there's three seconds, that's all of a sudden the buzzer comes up, it's like, oh, okay, I guess they missed the shot. Uh, so I turn that part off. So I'm laying in bed and I have my phone actually face up, um. And they're about to inbound the ball. I see Brett Brown sub in for offense. And a thought goes through my mind. And then I put it immediately out of my mind. I go, no, that's not. No way. That's not going to happen. Before the ball is inbounded, I get two very quick texts from my brother back to back. And I don't see. It just says I message. But it's like dzz, dzz, right after each other. And the very first thought that goes in my head, it goes, Korkmaz makes it. Because <laughs> that's the only reason that he would have texted me two, two, two quick times back-to-back like that. The only other opportunity would have been if Ben made it or if Korkmaz had gotten the shot and just completely like threw it like 40 feet to the right of the backboard. That's the only time. So uh, that was a very exciting time. That was a nice night. And since then, has not been so much. So let's talk... Let's take it back down a little bit, Max, and talk about the team's recent, I guess, struggles is the word for it. Yeah. Um... I was doing some thinking just, uh, you know, using my own memory and eye test of these games so far. Um, And outside the two blowout wins, which you mentioned, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, they're going into the fourth quarter a lot, not without a lot of breathing room. Um, So I did a little quick uh, math in their seven games so far. They've only lost by a total of seven points in in those seven games and the rest they've won by a decent margin. So their overall point differential is actually plus thirty eight. Um, after the third quarter of games, their overall point differential was plus two. So that shows you that in those blowout games, they were still up, up by a good margin, but in some of those wins and in one or two of those losses, they had to come back to lose by five and to lose by two. Or they had to come back to win by two by by being down 19. And that's probably unsustainable. Um, In just straight-up point differences, they are actually... Uh, Three and four at halftime. They've uh, only been in the lead three times so far. Uh, And Mm. they've won every fourth quarter but one. They're six and one in the fourth. And part of that is because they have to be. They have to play harder in that fourth quarter in order to try to breathe and try to win. And luckily, they are playing pretty well in the fourth. Um, I pulled up numbers right before this. Uh, On the whole, let me go to just the the full entire games here. On the whole in the season max, uh the Sixers are shooting 45.9% from the floor, 33% from 3. In fourth quarters, that's 50% and 40%. You know, that's impressive. They also cut down on turnovers. Um around then they average almost 19 turnovers a game. In the fourth they average less than 4. And they're being made to play that way because they kind of like feel like they're not finding their rhythm again this is like a newish team with each other they got to find their way to play together josh richardson hasn't been shooting very well and when he's you're starting to and also your backup one for a lot of the time that's going to hurt you um but how worried are you about this specific thing about them starting slow and having to play up to the team at the end um and if you are worried
1: when do you think this going to kind of come to a head and really really start messing things up I'm not too concerned. Um, I think it makes some sense given the construction of the team, the fact that they haven't really figured out um, what their bench looks like, that it is uh, it is still like two new – just in the starting five, like two new guys in, in Richardson and, and Horford. Yeah. So I guess like makes some sense that there have been some struggles and that their talent has been the thing that's kind of uh, – they've been able to overcome it with talent at the end of games. But – yeah, I guess I'm not super concerned. Um, it it does feel like, given their talent level, they should be handling some of these teams a little bit more uh, forcefully than they have. Um, mm-hmm. and it still feels like watching them. It, it the roles aren't totally clear. Like it's been a lot. It's it's been really up and down. I feel like Josh Richardson is maybe the only guy in the starting five who has had basically the same role every game, um, mm-hmm. and it feels like sometimes Tobias has had to be the the guy who steps up and scores. Ben Simmons has been, like, wildly up and down in terms of aggressiveness, in terms of scoring. MB, whenever he plays, is going to put up 25 and 12, and, you know, you kind of know what his role is, I guess. Horford, because Embiid's been out, has been, like, asked to do stuff he's probably not going to be asked to do long-term in the season. So it's it kind of feels like it's it's hard to get a gauge on, mm-hmm. on what this team should look like and what the, the roles should be at this point. Um, and that's kind of played out and and especially on the bench where you have, like you said before, Matisse-Thibault going from being their sixth man to like now more ancillary and Mike Scott Mm -hmm. playing less of a role than you kind of figured he would. Like I I figured he'd play 25 minutes a game and he's playing 17. Right. I mean, that could all even out too. I think, I feel
0: like probably a little bit more of a role for Ennis than we expected at this point, but again when the when they both joined the team last year it was kind of flipped and then evened out and then NSP a lot more in the playoffs as he played well and that kind of stuff the bench numbers they'll change with how person's playing so that's something that's kind of figured itself out but yeah i don't know like it's, it's everyone's still kind of fun in their place uh it's five road games two home games again like i said um I, don't, I can't remember if they've ever done a West Coast trip this early in the season.
1: No, it's... That feels it's, way out of place. It's definitely weird. I think it's probably because they're playing Christmas. Is it Christmas Day at home? Is that... Yeah, because year? Disney on Ice fucked off this year. Oh, is that... I didn't realize that was why. I think so. This is the um, longest we have gone into a,
0: a podcast without me saying the F
1: word, but yeah. Yeah. No, but they yeah. it's always but well, they are still doing their, their trip over Christmas, but it's it's not the same length. It's like a four game trip that ends on January third. Like it used to be every year, it like the twenty third through the through like the fifth of January, they'd knock out like seven West Coast games. Um and then there'd usually yeah, be a, now it's, a it's, March yeah, it's trip the, it's also. The,
0: it's the twenty seventh to the third, but in that stretch there's only four games.
1: Yeah. And they're still doing a trip in March, but it's like two or three it's three games or something i think it's the clippers lakers and warriors um and normally that and normally they would break it into like two very long west coast trips which is probably good because uh, those trips are brutal like when they would yeah. go on those trips back when i was with the team like it was you're basically gone for two straight weeks it sucked i mean it was yeah. like cool because it was the west coast and it was winter but like yeah people didn't like going on those trips because it was you were that march trip is so actually be pretty
0: pretty lame for fans uh because it's two weeks. It starts two weeks after the All Star Breaks. So there's a whole stretch there with no real basketball happening, and then they have off February 28th and 29th. Happy Leap Year. Uh, they play Clippers Sunday, Lakers Tuesday, Kings Kings Thursday, uh, Warriors Sunday, and then they have or Saturday, and then they have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday off, and then they play Wednesday, and then they have Thursday, Friday off. So that's not a ton of games in a in a good number of days.
1: So that's yeah. going to be annoying for, for fans. Um, Probably a good time for them yeah. to get some rest, though. It is. Because and, you uh, have the all-star no, only... break and then leading into this, like, yeah. whatever it is, five games in 14 days stretch. Yeah. And only
0: two of those games are 10 o'clock games, too. There's a 3.30 against the Clippers on a Sunday and an 8.30 on a Saturday. So those are good things. But, yeah, um, we'll know more as, you know, it's gonna be very interesting to see them play without Ben Simmons fully. Yeah. Considering they have never really done that. I think the most truly really. consecutive games he's ever missed was two. Outside of the full season he missed. But um, He's only I think he's only played he played he's played every single playoff game that he's been on the team for. And he's only missed, I think, four regular season games total. So it's gonna be interesting to see how they play. If there is, you know, I mean three games is what I would call an extended absence, but If it goes any longer than that, too, it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, But, yeah, got a game tonight. Uh, I know you have a hard out coming up, Max, a little bit. Do you want to take a quick break and then take some questions? Yeah, sure.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, Max. uh, I know you put some questions aside. I did not, so go nuts. All right. um, So Paul Roman asked for our take on... uh, a thread that was posted, or a post that was on Reddit, um, in which someone did a deep dive on the correlation between James Harden's performance on the road and mm-hmm. uh, the quality of strip clubs in various cities uh, on right. the road in the NBA. Uh, he asked our thoughts on it, and it, I think you said before that you did see this. I have a few thoughts about the methodology, but do you have any thoughts generally about about the uh, the post?
0: Yeah, I think it's a fundamentally flawed idea. It's very funny, and it's a good, fun thing to laugh at. But unless you're arguing that Harden plays poorly because he's just thinking about them strip clubs during the game, it doesn't work. Because majority of these games are 7 or 8 p.m. starts, uh, and if he's up till whatever time at the strip clubs, it still doesn't matter because his body clock can reset itself by the time a 7 o'clock start comes around. So, I'm not sure. where I think that's part of the reason why the idea between the the like the, the hangover games in New York and Miami are such. Because those teams are often coming from the West Coast and it's also fucking up their time. But, you know, it's like when... Remember when the NYPD broke Tabo Cephalosia's leg? Yeah. And everyone's hot take was like, well, what are they doing out at 4 o'clock at night? It's like their workday starts at 6. Their clock is not your clock. So... That's part that throws me off. Unless he's during the game like eyeing up an open three and just thinking about butts and boobs. Like, man, that's true. Then, then that could Man, that, that Portland strip club scene. Isn't, yeah. it, isn't it known for having it's like no, it being like a really good strip club it's
1: scene? oddly known for being a really good strip club scene. Um, I've not it's been like to Tampa, a strip club the Pacific in, Northwest. in Portland. But yeah, it's weird. It's not the place you would think uh, would have good strip clubs. My, my thought on it too was the methodology of the post. So... Uh, obviously, just put together his, like, points per game, free throw percentage, three-point percentage, all that. Um, and the, the the way they compared the strip clubs was taking the top 10 in each city uh, based on Yelp review and averaging that, which feels flawed to me because – so imagine, like, Indianapolis, for example. I don't know anything about the strip yeah. club scene in Indianapolis. I would venture to say the first and second best strip club in Indianapolis, which is probably where James Harden would go if he were to attend a strip club in Indy, is significantly better than the ninth or 10th best strip club rated on Yelp in, in Indy. I don't even know if they have mm-hmm. 10 strip clubs in Indianapolis. So, to me, it's like James Harden's not going to anything ranked below 4 or 5 anyway. So, I feel like th- there's a flaw in that sense, that that like a city can yeah. have 2 or 3, I guess, that are really good. Like, Portland's probably one of those. Like, I doubt there are 10 great strip clubs in in the city. Uh maybe there are, but that feels like not really the the way you you measure. He's a VIP strip club uh yeah, he's patron, not going to so number 8 on the list. Yeah, exactly. Um so that feels a little flawed to me. Um And then also I think there's there's a question of like I don't know, do, do we think that I think there are certain cities that players are just more likely to go out, and that has nothing to do with right. strip clubs. Like I think like L. A. is just one of those cities. People know people in L. A. There's other players there, yeah. whatever.
0: I also question the concept of trusting strip club Yelp reviews. Totally, because I've never left a Yelp review in my life, and I think only a certain type of person does. Um, and I don't know. Also, like, are we? Even if it's, like, the people who are going, like, leaving these reviews, you know, the general consent idea for me, maybe I'm wrong, is that people who leave online reviews to places either really liked it or really hated it, so there's no real in between. No one's like, oh, it was okay, give it a shot, you know? Um, and also, like, are we really basing, <clears throat> I don't think we can base any kind of methodology uh, around a star rating given by just, like,
1: just horned up dudes online. You know, yeah. there's this is an this is like that we this, can't we can't factor this. This is like the the upvote rating on like a Pornhub video, right? Like that right. you don't want to you don't want to sort by highest rated. Right? <laughs> like that's not the way to go. <laughs> this is not
0: where I thought this podcast got. Right?
1: Um but um yeah, yeah also it's it, it, speaking of not Pornhub but ratings online generally. Uh mm-hmm. it is kind of funny how much stock And I do this too, like how much stock I'll put in the rating on an item on Amazon based on like if it has four and a half stars or three and a half stars, knowing Mm -hmm. the kind of people who are writing Amazon reviews, like also knowing that they're probably,
0: they're probably a decent chunk of them are probably fraudulent as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's like the same thing with Grubhub. If you go to Grubhub and like a place has like a ton of reviews and you start reading the reviews and you realize that some of the reviews mention food items that aren't, that
1: the place doesn't offer, it's like oh, these are just fraudulent reviews. Also like who is, who is leaving, who are these 150 people leaving a five-star review on a knockoff iPhone charger on Amazon? Like that, that alone is a huge red flag (laughs) that those reviews even exist. yeah. Um, Yeah. Other questions. Uh, Oh, here's a good one. Um, we were asked by, uh, Panasonic DX 4500 aka Matt uh, what's a Sixers trade proposal from the last five years you thought sounded reasonable at the time but would would have actually been a disaster not including Markel Fultz
0: Um, I don't really have much for this because most of the Sixers related trade things that were leaked or came out I think would have been bad for the team and I I said as much then Um, and then the ones who because they were mostly just leaked by Danny Ainge um, but it did remind me of two specific trade proposals that I was against that I would probably reconsider now if I can just take this in the opposite mm-hmm. direction. Uh, one being, I remember specifically, uh, it's, I looked it up too, uh, June 2016, there was a rumored deal that would have swapped New Orleans Noel and Jeff Teague. And I was very against it. Um, it turns out probably pretty good value. Especially for what the actual value was you got for Nerolas Well. So, looking back uh, in time, yes, I would 100% have done that. Uh, secondly, um, I wanted to bring this up, Max. Knowing what we know now, and again, this is kind of cheating because hindsight is 2020, and we all know what happened for both teams. Knowing what we know now, so the Sixers traded uh, Dario and Cove and Jared Bayless, and et cetera, et cetera, for Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler came here, left. Uh, The Raptors did their trade for Kawhi Leonard. He went there, won a title, left. Assuming both of those players were going to leave no matter what, uh, and knowing that apparently the one holdup in a Spurs deal for Kawhi Leonard was that the Spurs wanted Ben Simmons, looking back now, basically guaranteeing yourself an NBA title last year, and then he leaves. Would you trade Dario Saric, mm. Robert Covington, Heat twenty twenty first, and Ben Simmons for Kawhi Leonard?
1: Oh man! Um, and this is this is in this scenario, we one hundred percent know he's leaving, and one hundred percent know that we win a title. Or you just yeah, think like not? it puts you in position to to probably win if a you title? believe
0: he stays or not. If Kawhi is on
1: this team last year, I don't see how
0: they possibly don't win the title.
1: I probably do I do it if I know we're winning the title. I probably yeah. don't if if you know he's leaving and, and even know how good Kawhi was down the stretch and how good the team ended up being at the end of the year. I probably don't do it cuz I still think even in that world there's like a 30% chance you don't win the title and then you just don't have Ben Simmons and Kawhi leaves. But if I was 100% sure, people. it's definitely worth it. But it, I don't think there's a way to be 100% sure. Even if it would have made them the best team in the league, most talented team yeah. in the league, you could still, you know, Embiid could get hurt in the finals, whatever could happen. Right.
0: There are some people who would seemingly prefer to do that no matter what, just to get Ben Simmons out of the way, which is baffling. Yeah. Well, let's leave that
1: about? for another podcast.
0: Yeah. Any more questions there, Max?
1: Uh, well, I want to answer that one because there, there oh, is, right. I there is one trade... That I think about a lot, um, and it was a, a hypothetical proposal that I put out on Twitter in May of 2016, after the Sixers won the lottery uh, and eventually selected Ben Simmons that year. Uh, and mind you, this was before Embiid had played a single game. This is coming off of two two straight years of him uh, sitting with a foot injury, and there there had been some like rumors of trades, of, like the Sixers trading him for like Shabazz Muhammad and shit, just like to get something for Embiid, uh, and everyone kind of scoffed at those because, it's like, well, at this point, you just ride it out, and obviously they made the right move by riding it out and not selling low. Uh, but at the time, Embiid didn't have a ton of value, uh, and also Carl Towns had a lot more value at the time coming off of his rookie year. Um, so I, I tweeted out, interested to see what Sixers fans think, and this is a poll. If Minnesota offered Carl Towns for Joel Embiid and the number one pick, number one overall being the one that ended up being Ben Simmons, would you do it? Mm-hmm. Fifty two percent said yes. Uh which at the time felt low. Like it felt like a definite yes, you would do this if you're the Sixers. You're basically guaranteed at the time Carl Towns seemed like he's probably like would you say Doncic level after his rookie year at that point? Like people saw him as like, Okay, yeah, this guy's gonna be a top ten player in the league. Um Yeah, probably. Yeah. So you were kind of and probably pope- with
0: honestly probably with fewer detractors.
1: Yeah, I think Carl Towns was se- – maybe even, like, Anthony Davis is, like, a better comparison. Yeah, probably, like, probably just seen as, like yeah, like, yeah, this that. guy's fucking awesome. Embiid um, was obviously a huge question mark. Ben Simmons was a great prospect, but, like, you were hoping you'd get Carl Towns with that pick, basically. Like, a, a player right. of that caliber. Uh, so I think about that a lot. That would have been – I imagine that, that trade going through and where you'd be right now. It's a disaster. Um, but it really it really speaks to, like, how much can change. I mean, really just in a year. Like, a year after that, yeah. people were retweeting that and, like, look at these fucking idiots in the comments saying they, they would yeah. do it in a, in a heartbeat. And uh, now here we are three years later, and it's, like, a joke that you would even consider that. I mean, that. When, you, when you look back on that whole
0: era of Sixers basketball and what happened around the team in general, you're, like, one, like say everything still happens with Embiid's foot and all that energy, but if that news comes out two weeks later, right, and say the Simmons injury happens before or somehow or, or, or you just don't get that number one pick, like you're only like two or three butterfly flap wings away from, instead of having Simmons and Embiid from those drafts, having like, like Wiggins and Exum. Yeah. So things could have gone very, very bad.
1: Oh, yeah. It could have been really bad. It's almost um,
0: astonishing how well they went, yeah, all things considered.
1: All th- it, totally. Considering how many whiffs they had, the, yep. the hits they had were home runs. Who um, would have honestly thought that your
0: absolute actual best-case scenario from those two picks is having those two guys miss a combined three total seasons of basketball? Who would have thought, for three and a half even,
1: who would have thought that that was actually the best-case scenario? It's crazy. Um, just also, I'm scrolling down in this thread... Uh, In December, on Christmas Day, actually, 2016, so six months later, seven months later, uh, after tweeting that out, I tweeted the same same trade. I said, what about now, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons for Carl Towns? 96% said no. So that changed very quickly. That was once Embiid was playing, and I think it was right before he had his knee injury that, that put him out for the year. Um, Yeah. And and I think the first one
0: was right after it was the the re-aggravation of the injury where they said where we knew he'd miss probably in the second season.
1: It was. So I think it was at the tail end of that season. I think I I tweeted out it was like it was it was right after the Sixers won the lottery with with Simmons. So it was coming off of a year of his second year of missing action and like basically no nothing that made would make you think he was like ready to come back and be awesome in the way that Mm -hmm. he eventually did. Um I just like this one. This isn't really a question. Um, Dave Mulhern asked, why is no one referring to Korkmaz's improved play as the for <laughs> Oh, the for That's good. I like that. Yeah. Um,
0: it's too early, I think, for the for Yeah,
1: I-, I need to see also, more.
0: Also, does for uh, all right, maybe so this is an etym- etymological question. Does for imply that there was a first period and
1: I was coming back around or is it just imply that this is his coming up? I think there's a come, there's a comeback that's implied right. in renaissance but yeah. Which yeah, that maybe doesn't maybe doesn't fit as well, but I like it anyway. Um, other friend of the pod Jimmy D'Onofrio, uh, asked, "Do the Sixers have any legitimate 6 men nominees this year?" Uh, when was the last time they had one that could even sniff the top 5? Um, Korkmaz put money on right now most improved
0: player for yeah that's possible um it's not (laughs) he would have to like be an all-star level player because like no one league-wide even knows
1: or gives a shit who for Korkmaz is unfortunately fair. um I I would say that if the is able to pull it back around um and go back to you know if he's able to like get his offense back on track right now it's it's horrific uh i think mm. he's just a better offensive player than what he's shown to this point i think he's a better shooter than what he's shown he's shooting like 24 percent from the floor um if yeah. he can get that back and the defense has obviously been great i think there's a chance that he like he's not going to win it but he could be in the conversation or like someone he could be the Sixers' sixth man of the year and and the mm-hmm. sixers will be a really good team so that like puts him in the conversation yeah. uh last time was lou williams like the, he finished second to james harden in 2012, and uh, I think James Harden got, like, every first-place vote, and the Williams got some second-place votes, basically. Yeah. Um, A good chunk of Sixers
0: history in my lifetime has been uh, forcing 6th, 7th, and 8th men to be stars. Yeah. Or at least starters, like, like main starters.
1: Thaddeus Young.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Jason Capona. Yeah.
1: Mm. Reggie Evans.
0: Hey, I love Reggie Evans, all right? I um, went through this whole thing the other day about my Reggie Evans obsession with the fact that he is the all-time NBA leader in one-point games. It's quite the Fascinates achievement. Me. It is 61 times.
1: 61. No one else is even close. Uh jens with uh two hammers and sickles uh flanking his name uh comrade zero seven six his handle asked uh album of the year and jim i'll let you take that first i feel like you probably have more of a take on that than i have right now i do i do have one that i've probably enjoyed the most i don't know if i think it's the best album of the year but i honestly this year has
0: kind of underwhelmed me to be honest Mm -hmm. um I haven't really kind of put together any kind of twenty nineteen albums list um let me check my spotify real quick of songs i have enjoyed uh the new great grandpa record is really good um i can't believe the better of believing community center record was this e- this year but it was uh so that's there uh fontaine's d c put out a really great album it's a irish uh like punk band um the wise bud records good Surprisingly, the newest Say Anything record is actually very good. I very much enjoyed Hmm. that. Um, But if I had to say, like, album of the year, maybe, it might be, um, I don't know, man. Alex Leahy's Best of Luck Club is really good. And I think that would probably be my choice if I had
1: to make the call right now. So I don't I don't know if I want to say this is this is the album of the year but it's probably the one I've enjoyed the most. Um Purple Mountains, the album mm-hmm. uh and also band name but, but basically just a side project of David Berman, who uh passed away this summer uh after taking his life. Uh but he he came out with an album He's famous for uh, his work with Silver Jews who I really like. Um it's one of my all-time favorite bands, but came out with an album this summer uh, under the title "Purple Mountains." It was really good. Uh, came out about a month before his death, and like listening back, if you're if you're a fan of Silver Jews and haven't really listened to that album, um, you should because it's really good and also just like kind of heartbreaking uh, given his death and just like the the content matter of a lot of the music and the, uh, on that album and. Um, yeah, I think like, I've had a really strong emotional connection to that album. I don't know if it's the best album of the year, but if you haven't heard it, listen to it because it's really good. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of all we got. Um, uh, yeah, sounds right to me. Yeah, and we'll we'll probably when we come back, we didn't talk a ton about Ben Simmons, but we'll we'll know more in a week. So when we come back for our next episode, maybe we'll have an update on what the what's going on with the shoulder injury. I mean, knowing um, our
0: history, we'll know more in about fifteen minutes.
1: Yeah, I'll probably know more in a in a minute um, when he's ruled out for the season. Uh, but also, I, I'm kind of curious, like if I think that's how we didn't really talk about him at all, but like I'm really hoping in the next week he's able to cement himself because uh, I'm sure he's going to play more unless Trey Burke's going to finally crack the rotation, uh, play more yeah. now with Simmons out, and maybe maybe he can be that that ninth or tenth man because he, he's looked Very really possibly. good. Yes, he's looked decent. All right. um, Well, we'll be back in about a week. Uh, Thanks for listening and see you later. Thanks.